this um this time of year uh, we were at we had the um, last week we had the Fear Not Festival. This time of year, there's a story that shows up in our family uh, as a, a story. Our kids love to hear the, the origin story of, of Julie and I's relationship. They love to hear stories about when mom and dad were dating and um, usually the ways that dad didn't quite get it right, right? That's the, the fun part of, 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 the, of the stories. We're getting some nods in the front row over here. Um, and so there's a story that is both of those things. That's, that's part of our, uh, our family story. And, and um, Julie and I, when we were in college, uh, we were friends, right? We um, would uh, we would help lead worship. Julie was we, we met or really got to know each other well through. Uh, Julie was leading worship in a a, lo- a local church college ministry, and she needed a guitar player. And um, apparently, I was the only one that they could track down to to be part of the, the worship band there. And um, we would get together and we would practice and and work. Julie was learning to play guitar at that point, and uh, I was a little further along, and so was helping her uh, learn some things. And so she would come over to uh, to our apartment, and she would. Uh, we would practice, right? And we would play music. And there was this, uh, the week before Halloween, uh, she and I got together for practice. I have roommates, you know, how this all works out. And, um, and so we're practicing and finished the practice time and we're talking. And uh, I was talking about the, the thought of going to a haunted house. There was one in the area. And I said, you know, it's going to be really fun. It's going to be all these things. And um, my friends and I are talking about going and, and all this. And, and there's Julie who was my friend at that point, and she said, wow, I've never been to a haunted house before. That sounds like a lot of fun. I mean, right? This like, like teed up perfectly. <laughs> <laughs> and so in all the smoothness that I had at that moment, I, I said, you know, uh, it really will be fun. You should get some of your friends together and you should go. <laughs> I, I am that slow yeah exactly exactly yep um so that was that's kind of one of the and so she like we're having this conversation and like all my roommates are are like in other rooms going what a train wreck what is up with this guy what, what is wrong with him right we're still trying to figure out uh, some of that i think but um so she walks out the door and so now to hear julie's side of the story she said i, I literally walked out the door i closed the door and i hear this collective what are you doing, Nate? <laughs> so she's walking to her car, hearing my roommates now just giving me the hardest time, saying, like, you do realize she was totally asking you to ask her to a haunted house, right? And it's like, I don't know. I mean, maybe, like, I don't know. Um, apparently the plan worked. It was a little slower plan, but, you know, eventually it all worked out. Um, <laughs> um, the reality was, in that moment, this was, for me, it was, I don't want to ask a question that I don't really know the answer to, right? You have those moments where it's like, I don't know if I want to start this conversation if I'm not exactly sure where this thing is heading. Uh, I think when we talk about our, our spiritual lives, we start talking about this relationship that we can have with God. Sometimes, I think, uh, we are afraid of asking the question because we're not sure what the answer might be, right? We're, we're saying we want God to speak to us. We want God to, to, to be in conversation with us, I think. Or maybe for some of us, we, we, we want to have that conversation, but we're just not sure. Um, do I really want to know? I don't know what the answer might be if I ask God that question. Oh, man, I don't like asking questions that I don't kind of already have a sense of what the answer might be, right? Or maybe, uh, maybe we're, we're worried. We talk about wanting to hear from God. Uh, maybe we're worried that we might not like what we hear. Right? What, if is, what if what God says to us, first of all, might require something of us that's, that's difficult? Or, or what if it's just that 
that we might hear something back from him that, that just doesn't sound like what we want to hear. We've had conversations, I've had conversations, um, I have been guilty of conversations like this where uh, in some ways the, the only way to describe it is having a conversation with somebody and it sounds something like this as they're talking about their connection with God, as they're talking about maybe the things that they sense that God might be saying to them or, or their sense that, that God doesn't seem to be answering them uh, in the way that they would like to be, uh, to be answered. I have these questions, these conversations where it's, um, it's literally like, you know, I'm not sure you want to hear from God. I think you want to hear what you want to hear from God. Does that make sense? Where, where he may have already answered, you may have already heard, but you're not hearing what you want, so you're continuing to act as though that, that, that you haven't actually heard from him. But the reality is it's, you're hoping to um, hear what you want to hear from God. So what do we do with this? We, start, we talk about this idea that, that we want God to speak, we want to be in connection with him, we want to hear from God. But what if it's something we, we, we don't want to hear or something that requires something of us? That's where we start to talk about the hero story. That's where we start to talk about what does it look like for us to, to embrace the conversation, to embrace God's transforming work in the midst of those kinds of moments. Our hero this morning is a, uh, a man, young man uh, at this point, a, a really in some ways a, a child at this point uh, in the story, a, a, a young man by the name of Josiah. Uh, Josiah was a, a young king and um, was in the midst of a, a cultural context where there was so much brokenness, where there was this gravitational pull even among the people of God towards very broken things, towards things that did not honor God, towards things that were sinful. And, and here's this young king that's, that's, that's given a decision, that's, that's put in a position to make a choice about where will, his, where will he head and where will his people head? To hear from God, to hear corrective words from God that, that require courage, that require heroic action, that require a specific decision that, that takes him away from the gravitational pull of his time. This is the kind of conversation where you might not like to hear what you hear from God and it might require something of him. And so in Second Chronicles, starting in verse 34, it's the, or Second Chronicles chapter 34, starting in verse 1, uh, it begins to, it, we hear the story of Josiah. Uh, one of our heroes, as we look at these stories, Josiah was eight years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem for 31 years. And in verse 2, he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and followed the ways of his father David, not turning aside to the right or to the left. This is the highest compliment. If, you're, if you've ever read through or if you are interested and you're not as interested in this sermon, but you're interested in hearing this fact or kind of exploring this, you can look at the, the stories of the kings over, over Israel. You can see the, that the way that their story is recorded is they either did what was right in the sight of the Lord or they didn't. It was kind of this binary reality. So you see the listing of the kings and the, and the people who led the, the people of God, and you would, you would hear, see one of two things. Either they did what was right in the sight of, the, of God or they didn't. They did evil in the sight of the Lord. And you see the, that story, in some cases, that's about all we have recorded of that particular leader. And so Josiah receives what would be the highest compliment and, uh, that, a, that a king and the listing of the kings could receive is that he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, that he followed the ways of his father David, not turning aside from the right, to the right or to the left. That the simple question, did he do the right thing, yes or no? We get the answer at the beginning of his story in his introduction that, that yes, he did. And so the story of how that played out, the story of what that looked like, continues. In verse 3, in the eighth year of his reign, while he was still young, right, so probably 16 years old if I'm doing the math correctly, while he was still young, he began to seek the God of his father David. In his twelfth year, he began to purge, to purge Judah and Jerusalem of high places, Asherah poles, and idols. This is the start of a good reign. This is the start of, of a, good, uh, a, a good king leading his people in, in the right kind of direction. But the reality is the, the world around him is very broken. 
right? There are, there are places of idolatry. There's places where the, the people of God have, have brought in other religions to, to be influential in there and have worshipped in the ways that, that the pagans around them have worshipped, that they've, that they've desecrated the kinds of spaces that are supposed to be sacred. That the people around Josiah, this young king, this, this one who's, who's trying to, to lead well, who seems to be chasing after God, who's, who's not wanting to turn to the right or to the left, but, but the, the world around him is pulling him in so many different directions. The world around him, for it to be reconciled with God, for it to be made right, is going to require a significant amount of work. In some ways, as we've talked about the hero stories, we had David uh, facing off against a physical Goliath. And that's one kind of challenge. This, this challenge that we're talking about this morning, this, the reality of fighting against this cultural apathy, this, this sinfulness of his time is in some ways a greater kind of Goliath than, than, what, than what David faced. But under his direction, verse 4, under his direction, the altars of the Baals were torn down and he cut to pieces the incense altars that were above them and smashed the Asherah poles and the idols. These he broke to pieces and scattered over the graves of those who had sacrificed to them. He burned the bones of the priests of the, on the altars so that... So, and so he purged Judah and Jerusalem and the towns of Manasseh and Ephraim and Simeon and as far as Naphtali, the, the, to the ruins around them, he tore down the altars and the Asherah poles and crushed the idols to powder and cut to pieces all the incense altars throughout Israel. And then he went back to Jerusalem. This is a guy who is taking it seriously. Right? This is a guy who, who says, I'm going to chase after God. I'm going to fix my eyes on him. I'm not going to turn to the right or the left. But, but when I start to look at God, when I start to pay attention, when I start to, to try and focus on the things of God, then I start to realize just how broken things are around me. And so I have to make a decision. Josiah has to make a decision. He says, this is, this is what I'm called to. This is what I'm chasing after. I'm trying to lead in this kind of way. But the reality is to lead in this way means I'm going to have to deal with some junk around me. Right? I'm going to have to deal with the stuff that, that has crept into to my, to my culture, crept into my family in some ways, has, has crept into the, the people that I'm leading, that I'm going to have to deal with hard things. That this faithfulness, this, this trust, this chasing after God is going to require something of me. So then in the 18th year of Josiah's reign, to purify the land and the temple, he sent Shaphan, son of Azela, to, Manasseh, uh, to Messiah, the, the ruler of the city, with, with Joah, son of Johaz, the recorder, to repair the temple of the Lord his God. He went to Hilkiah, the, the high priest, and gave him the money that had been brought into the temple of God, which the Levites who were the gatekeepers, had collected from the people of Manasseh, Ephraim, and the entire remnant of Israel, and from all the people of Judah, and Benjamin, and the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And then, so having collected these money, having collected this funds, they entrusted it to the men appointed to supervise the work on the Lord's temple. These men paid the workers who repaired and restored the temple. So the work begins, the restoration work. There's been the, the tearing down of the broken things, tearing down the sinful things, kind of purging the, the community of the stuff that's broken. And then it's like, now, it's not just tearing down. It's also building back up, right? It's also saying, what does it look like for us to begin to put together the right kinds of things? And so they entrusted it to the men appointed to supervise the work on the Lord's temple. These men paid the workers who repaired and restored the temple. They also gave money to the carpenters and, and builders to purchase dressed stone and timber for joists and beams for the buildings that the kings of Judah had allowed to fall into ruin. It wasn't just that they had allowed the kind of culture to fall apart. It wasn't just that they had allowed broken things to creep in. It wasn't just that they had allowed people to move into a sinful way of operating. They had let things like the temple fall into ruin as well. It was a symbol in some ways of, of, the, of the larger sickness, a symptom of, of a sickness that had crept into this people. So the workers labored faithfully and over them to direct them were Jatha and Obadiah, Levites descended from Mariari and Zechariah and Meshulam, descended down from Koath, the Levites, who were all skilled in playing musical instruments, had charge of the laborers and supervised all the workers from Job 
to job. Some of the Levites were secretaries, scribes, and gatekeepers. And while they were bringing out the money that had been taken into the temple of the Lord, Hilkiah the priest found something. He found the book of the law of the Lord that had been given through Moses. And Hilkiah said to Shaphan the secretary, I have found the book of the law in the temple of the Lord. And so he gave it to Shaphan. And Shaphan took the book to the king and reported to him, your officials are doing everything that has been committed to them. Everything has been committed to them. They have paid out the money that was in the temple of the Lord and they have entrusted it to the supervisors and the workers. Then Shaphan, the secretary, informed the king, Hilkiah the priest has given me a book and Shaphan read, uh, read from it in the presence of the king. There has been a discovery, right? When, when things started to get right, this process, if you look at the trajectory of, of what Josiah's leadership has looked like, what you look at what the, the trajectory of his reign, it comes from this very broken kind of scenario. And he starts to tear down the brokenness. He starts to focus on the, the thing that he's called to, this, this, this God who's calling him forward, this God who's painted a bullseye for him. And he, he looks around and says, the, the culture is broken, right? The world around is broken. There's, there's something that's not right. And so we're going to begin to fix it. We're going to begin to put it back together again. We're going to tear down the broken things and we're going to build back up the things that have been allowed to fall into ruin. And in the midst of that process, as in, in the ways that, that only God can do when he weaves stories together, where he, he, he writes this bigger story than what we can imagine, this, this pre- preparation work, the, the tearing down and now the building up, and then this book, this book appears, that is a, a, the, the law of God, this, this word of God that was spoken to Moses that's been preserved in its own kind of way that, that's now brought to the king. And so the, the, the word is read to him. And when the king heard it, verse 19 of Second Chronicles 34, when the king heard the words of the law, he tore his robes. The tearing of his robes is a, it's a sign of grief. It's a sign of repentance. It's a, it's a sign of, of sorrow. Here his, is his response to the word of God, saying this is, this is the, the word that describes what's been wrong. This, this thing that I've been sensing, this, this thing that has been not right, this, this sense that I have as I'm trying to lead well, this, this sense that something is broken, that something isn't right. And then the word is read, and he begins to have words for what he's feeling, right? He begins to have the instructions, the, the, the bullseye, the direction that God has given his people that says this is what life is supposed to look like. And so he tears his robes, realizing just how far they strayed, realizing just how broken things really are. And so he gives orders to Hilkiah, Echem son of Shaphan, and Abdon son of Micah, and Shaphan the secretary, and Esaiah the, the king's attendant. He says this, go and inquire of the Lord for me and for the remnant in Israel and Judah about what is written in this book that has been found. He says, help me understand. Right? Help me understand what this is supposed to look like. There's, there's this beautiful moment of community, of, of connection, saying, I don't think I can fully understand this on my own. I'm going to need some people around me helping me understand what this means. Josiah understood the weight of it, understood the significance of it, but, but also recognized that he was going to need some help, some help in discerning what God was really saying to him, helping, them under, helping him understand what was supposed to be done in response. Great is the Lord's anger that is poured out on us because of those who have gone before us, have, that have not kept the word of the Lord, that they have not acted in accordance with all that is written in this book. Josiah is part of a line of people who have strayed, right? He's, he's, he's one, the next step in a line of people who have, who have not been faithful, who have, who have done what was evil in the sight of God, who haven't done the right thing, who didn't make the right choices, who, who either lacked the courage or lacked the wisdom to, to get it right. 
So here he is breaking the cycle, or at least attempting to break the cycle. He says, so, so I'm looking, and if I had an excuse to say, well, we've always done it this way, or this is the thing that has, has become acceptable culturally within our people, that, that this is a thing that's, that's okay because we've allowed this to be part of who we are. Look, I'm not the one who came up with this. I'm not the one who, who established these practices. I'm not the one who allowed these, these high places and the Asherah poles and all these kinds of things to be created. This isn't my thing, but Josiah recognizes his responsibility, right? This is the hero moment. This is the hero context to say, I'm looking at what's been handed down. I'm looking at the legacy of what has been handed to me. I'm looking at the practices of those who've gone before me, and I'm saying, this is the cycle that we will break. Josiah saying, let's get it right. Let's, let's spend time listening to God. Let's listen to his people as we talk in community about what this actually means for us. And just because they haven't gotten it right before me doesn't mean that I'm not going to get it right. right? Just because it's, it's been handed to me in a way that's, that's broken doesn't mean that I'm not going to work to fix it because they have not acted in accordance with all that's written in this book. So Hilkiah and those the king had sent with him went to speak to the prophet Huldah, who was the wife of Shalom, son of Tukath, the, the son of Hasher, the keeper of the wardrobe. She lived in Jerusalem in the new quarter. And she said to them, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Tell the man who sent, the, who sent you to me that this is what the Lord says. I'm going to bring disaster on this place and its people. All the curses written in the book that has been read in the presence of the king of Judah because they have forsaken me and burned incense to other gods and aroused my anger by all that their, that their hands have made. My anger will be poured out on this place and it will not be quenched. And she continues, Tell the king of Judah, who sent you to inquire of the Lord. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says concerning the words you heard. It says this, because your heart was responsive and you humbled yourself before God when you heard what he spoke against this place and its people. And because you humbled yourself before me and tore your robes and wept in my presence, God says, I have heard you. Right, this conversation that's, being, that's playing out as, as, the, as they're speaking to Josiah on behalf of God, that they're, they're having this conversation, God says, because you responded, because when you heard that things weren't right, because when you heard that, that, that things weren't as they should be, you responded, you, you first you know, tore your robes, that, that you responded in humility, that you humbled yourself before me. And God says, I have heard you, declares the Lord. I will gather you to your ancestors and you will be buried in peace. Your eyes will not see all the disaster that I'm going to bring on this place and on those who live here. And so they took her answer back to the king. So what's the king going to do about it, right? What, what does the king do in response to this? What does the king do in response to the, the word that has been received, this corrective word, this word that says you have to get it right, right? That, that it's not enough just to be, to, to be sad and to be frustrated with the way things were, but but, but Josiah, you have some responsibility to bring peop your people back into alignment with God. So then the king called together all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem, and he went up to the temple of the Lord with the people of Judah, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the priests and the Levites, and all the people from the least to the greatest. And then he read, and there hearing, all the words of the book of the covenant, which had been found in the temple of the Lord. This is what we would call influence, right? This is what we would call this, this moment where it shifts from just being about Josiah and, and just Josiah experiencing this kind of return to God, this, this call back to the, the, to the ways of God. And Josiah hears this word from, the, from this prophet who's speaking back to him and speaking that, that when you heard that you humbled yourself, that, that when you heard the word of God, that, that you worked to get yourself in alignment, then Josiah turns and he says, for my people, let's do the same thing. For my people, let me give them the same kind of opportunity that I've had. Let me leverage the influence that I have to, to bring people back, to bring my people that I care about back into alignment with God. 
And so he begins to read, just like what was read for him, begins to read in, the, in their hearing the, the words that had been read to him. And in verse 31, the king stood by his pillar and renewed the covenant in the presence of the Lord to follow the Lord and to keep his commands, statutes, and decrees with all his heart, with all his soul, and to obey the words of the covenant written in this book. And then he had everyone in Jerusalem and Benjamin pledge themselves to it. The people of Jerusalem did this in accordance with the covenant of God, the God of their ancestors, that Josiah's transformational experience, this, this moment of God calling Josiah back into alignment with him, this, this moment of God pouring out courage and wisdom into Josiah, then, then Josiah turns and says, let me do what I can do to bring my people back into alignment with God. Let's restore the covenant. Let's, let's let this transformational moment, this, this changing of the world that, that God is doing, that it starts with, with Josiah, and then it begins to influence those around him, and then it begins to influence his community, and begins to influence those who, who would go out and, and lead other people. And then Josiah removed all the detestable idols from the territory belonging to the Israelites and, and, and had all who were present in Israel serve the Lord their God as long as he lived. They did not fail to follow the Lord, the, the God of their ancestors. Josiah heard from God. Right, Josiah heard a hard word from God. Josiah heard from God, and it, and it wasn't maybe what he wanted to hear exactly. It would have been much easier for him if God would have said, look, you know what, I'm going to allow some of the things to be present in your, in your world. I'm not going to call you to, to hard things. I'm not going to call you to, to cleansing all these things and, and then tearing down and the rebuilding. It would have been so much easier for Josiah. Right? It would be so much easier for us. We would, we would so prefer for God to speak to us and say, look, I'm pretty good with basically how life is for you. Right? No need to change anything. There's nothing that's required of you. Continue on. <laughs> But Josiah heard from God, and it required hard things from him. And so what's he going to do about it? Right? If, if he has heard, then, then he needs to respond. But what will his response be? And his response is obedience. In the book of 2 Kings, where the stories of the kings of, of, of the people of God are recorded, it, it records Josiah's story in this way. It closes in this way. It says, Neither before nor after Josiah was there a king like him who turned to the Lord as he did with all his heart, with all his soul, and with all his strength, in accordance with all the law of Moses. That would be a wonderful thing to have be said of us, wouldn't it? Wouldn't that be the kind of thing that we think about, the, the way that we're remembered, when we think about what our legacy looks like, to say, never before, never before. Now, there were, there were good kings before and after Josiah. There were good, godly kings who, who led their people well, who, who helped people move forward, who, who, who helped establish a bullseye for their people that said, we're going to chase after the things of God. But it says that Josiah turned to God, right? That, that he turned to God. So there was this, this king, like, like him, there was never a moment where things were so broken, where things were, had fallen apart in such a way that, that culturally things had become such a disaster that, that it required a, a turning to God, that it required such a drastic change in direction. And it wasn't just that Josiah turned to God but it was that his turning to God became a framework for how he operated. That he turned to God, that, that he saw the bullseye, this, this bullseye that's been laid out that's the highest compliment that could be, that could be said of, of anyone who's trying to follow after God, that they follow with, with their heart, soul, and strength. Right? That, there's, that there's, the whole person is, is chasing after the things of God, that, that to follow after God with every fiber of who he is. That there's this ultimate bullseye that's established to say, I'm going to chase after the things of God. I'm going to, going to chase after that thing that it's, that it's not that Josiah just had this moment of repentance. It wasn't just that Josiah had this moment where he said, I, I realize how broken things are. I'm going to turn momentarily towards God. But it says he turned towards God. And then with all his heart, 
his soul and his strength chased after God, that it became the framework for how he lived, that it became the way that he approached life, chasing after what would be the ultimate bullseye, saying doing what he, living his life in accordance with all the law of Moses, which simply means obedience, which simply means that if God has spoken, then we should respond in some way and we should respond in obedience. And so we see Josiah never before or after Josiah, was there a king who turned to the Lord who chased after him with his heart, soul, and strength and lived in accordance and obedience. So it's, it's the, the, the perfect way to describe one that we would call a hero, right? One that we would say, what does it look like to recognize that things are broken? It's not just enough to, to be critical of the world around us. It's not just enough to say, look, I recognize that people aren't getting it right. I recognize that, that, the, that the world is broken, but, but maybe if I can make sure that I'm okay, if I can make sure that, that I get where I'm supposed to be, if I can make sure that my life looks like what God is calling my life to look like, for Josiah to not only have a transformational experience, but to lead people, to influence others, to, to allow this kind of radiating rings of influence that change the world around him because of what God has done in him. It's what we call devotion. Right? It's what we call actually living towards something. It's, it's what we call saying, I'm, I'm not satisfied with the way things are. I want to be everything that God is calling me to be. So what does it look like? for us to take Josiah's story, for us to, to look at this moment, this, this young king who, who has all sorts of influences that would suggest that he should just keep things the status quo, would suggest that it's much easier to just allow things to be as they are, but to be confronted with truth and then to respond in obedience, to respond and say, my devotion, my devotion will not just change me, but will change the world around me. What does it look like for us to live that kind of devoted life? What does it look like for us to live in that kind of way? And I think it plays out in a few ways, but one is that, that devotion requires turning to and turning from, right? Devotion requires turning to and turning from. This is such good news, right? This is such good news because there are, I, I know, because I have walked this road, because I, I continue to walk this road at times where it's like there needs to be corrective action, right? That I'm heading in the wrong direction or that, that maybe for some of us, we know we've been heading in the wrong direction, that, that life has taken us and the decisions that we've made have, have taken us so far off from the mark that, that we can hear these stories and we can hear this, this idea that God will call us back into alignment with himself and you're like, man, I don't know. I don't know, Nate, if, if I can buy that because I have messed up so much, right? I have made so many decisions. I've done so many things that have taken me so far off the mark. That the good news, that the good news is no matter how far off the mark you are, right? No matter how far you have strayed, no matter how far your journey has taken you away from God, no matter how far you, you feel like you've missed the mark by, no matter how many steps you've taken in the wrong direction, that your next step can be a step in the right direction, right? That's what turning to looks like where it says, I'm going to stop and I realize that I'm on the, on the, on the wrong path and I'm going the wrong direction and I can turn to now, my next step, it doesn't matter all the steps that have come behind me or that, that my path has, has taken me in all sorts of different directions that have, that have made wrong decision after wrong decision after wrong decision, but, but my next step, when I turn to, when I turn to God, when I begin to chase after that bullseye, that next step can be a step in the right direction. Josiah had plenty of excuses, right? Josiah could have said, well, this is what the house of, of kings has looked like. This is the way it has, has operated. This is what I've been handed down. This is the things that I've inherited. This is the stuff that is, is just kind of like the reality of where I'm operating. Josiah had every excuse to, to not go in the right direction, and yet, and yet his step, and it was step by step by step as we watched the story unfold, that it was 
God revealing himself to Josiah, then, then Josiah listening and, 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 and operating to, to bring his people back into alignment with God, that, that the steps began to turn, just to turn to the things of God. But there's also the reality that that means we're turning from things, right? And some of the things that we're turning from have, have become consistent habits. They've, they've become things that maybe we've tried to medicate some of the, the stuff that we know isn't right by certain behaviors or certain things that we keep going back to that we know aren't working. And so when we turn to, that also means that we're turning from, that, that there's this reality that there's probably some junk that we have to deal with, right? That there's some stuff that we've got to let go of to say, that can't go with me on the journey from here on, right? I've got to let go of that. I've got to get around some people who are going to help me let go of these things. About 10 years ago, we moved from Indiana to Colorado to plant a church, and we owned a home in, in Indiana, and the, the, the housing market, you know, it goes up and down, and when we moved, the, the housing market was at a low point, and so we thought, well, let's rent our house for a year or two and let the market recover, right? This is kind of like, we all experience some of those kinds of things, and so we rented our house and um, thought we had a pretty good situation set up, and it turns out that um, we didn't just have a, a tenant, we turned out to have a squatter, right? And um, uh, who thought it was just optional to pay rent. Right? It's like one of those situations. And, and so we had to go through this long, drawn-out process of, of getting her out of this home so we could get it ready to sell and all these things. And here I am planting a church in Colorado trying to fly back to Indiana to deal with all of those things. And I'll never forget, we pulled into the driveway at, when we finally got her out of the home and um, pulled in. And it wasn't just that she was a squatter, she was a hoarder, and she had done everything she could to destroy the house before she moved out. Right? It was this kind of like forced exit. And um, I remember there is this, like, turkey sitting on the deck, just kind of like sitting there. It was dead, like a, not a live turkey. It was a like frozen turkey that was no longer frozen that just kind of like oozed into the wood. And it was just disgusting, right? I mean, it's just like, how in the world can people do this? Front door left open and the rain is just going into the hardwood floor and um, just a disaster kind of situation. I'm standing there with my father-in-law, uh, which is, you know, <laughs> doesn't feel like the most successful moment of my life. It was like, you know, we try and make good decisions here. This is like, uh, um, so he and I are standing there, and I will never forget, this is one of those moments when um, he and I's relationship changed this day. Um, it was good before, but for me, I, I gained a level of respect for him that uh, I have looked back at, at, at that moment at countless times since then because he and I are standing in this driveway, and I'm going, I don't even know where to start. Right, there is so much. I mean, there's like, if you could mess it up, it had been messed up. I don't even want to go into details about it because it just makes me sad. But if you could do something to someone's home to ruin it, it had been done in ways that like, I can't even imagine. And so he and I are standing in the driveway, and he just tur turns to me and says, well, grab a trash bag. All right? Let's start. And so we took one trash bag after another, after another, after another, and like, you know, like significant amount of time. But he spoke this moment of wisdom to say, you know what? It's pretty bad. Let's get to work. Right, grab a trash can, a trash bag. Let's, let's start putting it back together again. That, that we have to deal with the junk, the, the, the junk, and sometimes we look at a situation where we're like, this is so broken, this is so wrong, there's no way. Sometimes it's just a matter of we gotta grab the trash bag and get to work, right? Sometimes maybe we need to get somebody with us in that process that, that's like, let's just keep one piece at a time, one turkey at a time, right? Like Whatever that looks like to say, let's deal with the junk, to turn to and to turn from. A devotion requires turning to and from, uh, turning to and turning from. Devotion calls us to consistency, that it's not just a matter of, of making a single decision, saying I'm, I'm now focused on the thing of, things of God. I'm just going to like 
turn for a moment. It's not a momentary turn. It's a consistent turn that it's not just turning, but it's turning to the bullseye and then making decisions about that to say, I'm going to make not just the next step in the right direction, but the step after that in the right direction and the step after that in the right direction. That I'm going to put things in my, in my life that, that help me get to where I'm trying to go. That it's a, both a decision and it's decisions. That, that, it's, that it's Josiah turned and then it says that he didn't turn to the right or the left, right? That he had decisions to make that, that he could have turned to the right or left, but he didn't. That devotion calls us to consistency. That devotion moves us in obedience. I think this is one of the things that I've learned over the years, that when I think about submitting to God, when I think about submitting to uh, what, what God is teaching me, what God is calling me to, so often we think obedience means that we don't get to do fun stuff anymore right? I think it's like being kids. It's like, oh, great. Like, my parents are telling me to do something. That means that it's going to be something I don't want to do. What we're talking about here is this, this devotion, this, this chasing after God, this, this living a life that's, that's lived towards God is a call to obedience. But, but more than that, it's an invitation. It's an, an invitation to get in on what God is doing, for God to say, look, this is what I want to accomplish. This is what I'm trying to accomplish in your life and through your life, and I'd like for you to be a part of it. So I'm calling you to, to something that sounds like obedience, but it's really an invitation. It's really an invitation to a different way of living, that devo- de- uh, devotion moves us in obedience. And finally, de- devotion thrives in community. Devotion thrives in community, that, that God changed the world through, through Josiah, Right? But not just Josiah, but through the people around Josiah that helped him make sense of what he was hearing from God, that, that helped him. Josiah wasn't the only one that was tearing down Asherah poles. Josiah wasn't the only one that was, that was cleaning up the mess. Josiah wasn't the only one in our, in our story that holding a trash bag. He had people around him that, that, that God revealed himself to Josiah and through his word, but he, he, he broke the cycle in community, that devotion thrives in community, that, that God began to, to, to move Josiah forward and, and move his people forward as, as others began to get around this idea of chasing after God, that changing the world or, or breaking generational cycles. It starts with us, but, it, but, it, but it's about more than just us, right? That it's about the, the community that we're a part of, the people around us. That devotion thrives in community, so we need to be intentional. Right, that we need to be intentional about what this looks like, and, and that looks just to, to be intentional about who we're becoming, right? to, to recognize that every day we become something. Every decision that we make makes us something, that, that turning isn't the final step. That for some of us, to, to be serious and to be intentional about what we're becoming means we need to spend some time in prayer. Right? Maybe it's, it's a kind of faltering first step in a conversation with God that's like, I don't even know what I'm saying. God, would you help me learn how to pray? That, that we learn to have a conversation with God that, that allows him to speak into us, that maybe we need to spend time in, in Scripture. For some of us, the, the, the Bible, reading the Bible is a foreign concept. It's something that, that we've never tried. So open our Bibles and say, God, would you speak to me through your word? God, I want to hear from you. Would, you. would you speak to me like you spoke to Josiah? Help me understand the bullseye. Help me understand what it is that you're calling me from. A good place to start, by the way, if you're curious and have not spent time in, in reading the Bible before, is the, the book of Luke and the book of Acts, which is a kind of a two-part set of, of, of Luke recording the story of, of Jesus Christ and then the story of the church. It's a great place to start. If you, if you haven't read anything else in Scripture, if you're looking for a great place to start, this, that's the book of Luke and the book of Acts. Um, then to get into, into consistent in Christian fellowship, to, to get around people, not exclusively, but get around people who can help you stay focused, to be intentional about who you're becoming. Prayer, scripture, Christian fellowship, dealing with the environment that, that you're operating in. What is it that, that's influencing you? Letting go, taking hold, 
For some of us, that means picking up the bag and getting to work, dealing with the junk in our lives. So be intentional about who you're becoming and be intentional about influence. Who or what is influencing you? Right? Maybe we just need to write that question down. Who or what is the primary influence on me? Who is it that, that's, who is influencing me? And then the, the follow-up question would be, do I have anybody that's helping me grow? Is there anybody in my life that, maybe it's not, like, not going to be everybody, but is there someone who is a voice that, that calls me to the things of God? Is there someone who speaks encouragement to me as I, as I take the next step and the next step and the next step? Who is it that's influencing me? Do I have someone who's helping me grow? If you don't, I've got some great news about the community that you're a part of here this morning, that there are people all over this room that would love to be that for you. You don't have to do this thing alone. So it's a question of influence. Who's influencing you? Then, then who are you influencing? Right, who is it that, who are you influencing? And then the, the question that, that follows that would be, what are they becoming? Right, for those people that you're influencing, for those people who, who you are leading, for those people who you are speaking into their lives, what are they becoming? Right, are they becoming more like Jesus? Are they becoming someone who's, who's more devoted to God? Or, or, or is your influence taking them in a, in a different direction? And for us to get honest about that, to say, the influence that I have isn't always positive. God, would you do a work in me so that my influence is positive? Would you bring people around me that would influence me in a positive way so that, that I can influence others in a positive way? To get intentional or to be intentional about influence. To be devoted, to be a people who chase after God with our heart, soul, and strength. To move, to turn not to the right or to the left. Let's pray. God, thank you. God, thank you for your word. God, thank you for Josiah, for the, the journey that he walked, for the way that he led us, for the way that, that we can learn from what he has done. God, I pray that we would hear your word, that we would hear this story, and that, that we would live differently. God, that our lives would be marked by something better than just simply our own way, but we would be marked by having heard you and then acting in response to that. God, give us wisdom and give us courage. God, we pray these things. In the name of your son, Jesus Christ, the one who paints the bullseye for us, the one who leads us forward, the one who makes a way for us. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.